Bonjour everyone and welcome back to Casseline, the French football podcast with the accent. The name is Jeremy Magan. I'm your host as usual. And of course, this podcast is brought to you by Breaking the Lines. Jump on the Breaking the Lines website to uh, read all the latest articles, analysis of the first quarter of the season in Bundesliga with, of course, the, the surprise Union Berlin. Uh, an interesting article close to home uh, on Desiree Doué, the um, little, the young phenomenon, the latest one coming out of Stade de Rennes. Uh, in France as well, an article about Tete, the Brazilian winger of Lyon, and uh, an article on the MLS and why spending big, spending big, excuse me, has failed to bring consistent success in the American League. Of course, jump on the podcast as well. Corta Linhas and Aira Gerigore. There's a new episode every week. Portuguese football, Italian football, and French football here. There's anything for anyone. Um, jump on, on Breaking the Lines for all the latest news on European and worldwide football. Today, Casale Linha. Uh, look, this weekend I, I was a bit busy. I'm not going to lie. I only really had a chance to watch one game, but I watched it well and I analyzed it and analyzed it well, excuse me. Uh, and so we're going to talk mostly about that. We're going to talk mostly about Paris Saint-Germain, Marseille, Le Classique, because it was a great game, because it was a great game tactically, and we've learned a lot both about Galchi and Tudor. And so I wanted to, to talk about it a bit more at length. Uh, and, and to be honest, the other games, I've watched only highlights, and I didn't really watch more games than I usually do, so I don't want to uh, sit here and, and talk to you about games that I didn't really have a chance to watch enough. Anyway, this is going to be a classic special after the few uh, that we did last week to uh, to preview it. This is the review now. Uh, but yeah, there was a lot to uh, break down. So uh, let, let's get to it. But first, music. Match Day 11 was played this weekend in France. And so we're going to talk, I guess, a lot about Paris Saint-Germain-Marseille, le classique that Paris won 1-0. And then we're going to quickly touch on, on the other games, but I'll just sort of sort of go through the, the scores and, and a couple of info. Maybe we start with, uh, with a piece of information, I guess, that's important in Ligue 1. Um, in a week, in, in 10 days, maybe maximum, We've lost five coaches on Ligue 1 benches. I mean, when it rains, it pours, right? Uh, it's a quarter of the uh, teams in Ligue 1 who decided to, uh, to fire their coaches. Uh, started with Lyon, of course, uh, who, uh, who got rid of uh, Peter Boss and straight away nominated um, names, to say, uh, Laurent Blanc on their bench. And then um, Auxerre, Brest, Montpellier, and, and Reims, Montpellier was the last one, um, decided to also part ways with their coach, the one that's a little bit, um, we don't know if it's, it's really parting ways or just a uh, uh, stepping aside for a bit. It's Stade de Reims. Apparently, there's something going on with uh, Oscar Garcia and, and the health of, of his daughter um, back in Spain, if I'm not mistaken. So so right now in Reims, it's not really a, a coach that has been fired, but we have Will Steele, the, the now uh, famous uh, assistant coach who became coach, who's only 30 years old. Uh, and who is the, the coach um, in the meantime in Reims, and who, uh, yeah, if you haven't heard of Will Steele, just have a read about it. He's, uh, he was, I think, coach at 28 years old of a team in Belgium, um, and, and then he went back and forth sort of at Reims, and that's going to be the first time that he sits down 
on a French Ligue 1 bench and he's only 30 years old and he's in a team where uh, a couple of players are older than him, namely uh, Abdelhamid, his, uh, his captain, who's 35 years old. So it's always a, it's always a good story and there's all that, all that chat about him learning how to be a coach on football manager as, as they do, as is the, uh, the new um, storytelling. Uh, but for the three other teams, uh, Auxerre, Brest and Montpellier, for now we don't really have um, a, a replacement. So Jean-Marc Furlan um, got taken um, off Auxerre's bench and supposedly Christophe Pellissier, the former uh, Lorient coach, is uh, sort of rumored to baby go there. Uh, in Brest, it's Michel Darzacarian uh, who's gone and, and Julien Lachuère, a former Auxerre player, um, a famous Auxerre player in, in France, is, um, is right now the coach in the meantime as well. Uh, and in Montpellier, which is Darzacarian's former, clu- former club, uh, Olivier Dallolio was also um, fired. Uh, and uh, in the meantime, it's Romain Pito, who's also a, a famous uh, former French player, very, very, very Ligue 1, uh, who's played for Sochaux and, and other teams, <clears throat> who's going to be the coach up until the Christmas break or the World Cup break, I should say. So here we are with uh, 15 coaches that started the last year and five that have already changed. And Laurent Blanc, the only one so far who has started into a new club. Uh, and um, and I don't know if there's going to be more to come. I mean, I think there's coaches like um, Antoine Comboiré or, uh, um, I don't know, maybe, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, ah, words. Miss me, maybe um, Julien Stéphane, excuse me, from Strasbourg, who uh, who maybe was a bit under pressure, but, uh, but you know, maybe they're going to stay where they are and, and we're going to keep the way we are. Anyway, let's let's jump on to um, Paris Saint-Germain versus Marseille, which was the last game of the weekend, of course, being the classic, uh, and a game won by Paris Saint-Germain, the goal scorer Neymar, just before halftime, 45 plus 2 is the uh, exact timing, uh, and a game that was, uh, that was just a great game of football. I don't think I remember um, such a good classic in, in recent years. Um it, it was very lovable, I think. Um, and if we look at the stats, the stats sort of like um, speak in this favor. Uh, 50-50 as far as the position goes. Uh, shots on target, 8 of 22 for Paris Saint-Germain, 7 of 21 for Marseille. Although, um, spoiler alert, Paris Saint-Germain was definitely more dangerous than Marseille. Uh, and of course, 7 saves uh, for Paris Saint-Germain, 7 saves for Marseille. But in Marseille, there's one that wasn't saved, uh, which was um, Neymar's goal. And if we look at everything else as well, uh, it's 12 fouls for, for Paris, 16 for Marseille, 23 tackles for Paris, 24 tackles for uh, Marseille. Um, at Wales, it was good as well. Yeah, the, the amount of uh, passes or touches, rather, it's six, 669 for Paris, 657 uh, for Marseille. And I think also in the, uh, in the passing, um, if, you, if you look at them, I think it was, yeah, 488 passes out of 542 were completed by Paris. And 4.79 out of 5.38 completed by Marseille. So it's like uh, we're, we're talking about a handful of passes, differences. To show how um, how interesting this game was and how uh, tight it was. And I think to analyze it, we're going to analyze, uh, well, the, the both, the, the three areas of the of the field. So we're going to analyze first, um, I guess, the we'll go from what works less to what works best. So first, we're going to look at the defense of Paris and the attack of Marseille. Then we'll look at the midfield. And then we'll look at the uh, offense of Paris and the defense of Marseille. And we're going to do a bit of a tactical analysis of, of what's going on in those two, two teams 
in these three um, sectors of the field because I think it tells us, it told us quite a bit about the two teams, about the two coaches and about what to expect for the rest of the year. Um, and it was, I think, in, in that sense, a fascinating game um, tactically. So Paris Saint-Germain won, Paris Saint-Germain dominated, Paris Saint-Germain, the, the bit of a the, the, the movie of the game, um, the first five minutes, they have four or five opportunities. Uh, Paolo Lopez was on fire, makes three saves, two in front of um, um, Mbappé. And a bit later on, there's a, a free kick from Lionel Messi that crashes on the, cr- on the crossbar. Um, and then the goal comes just before halftime when Amin Arit uh, loses the ball uh, 30 meters from his, uh, from his own goal. And it's uh, Verratti who recovers the, the ball, gives it to Mbappé. Mbappé gives it to Neymar. And then Neymar finds the uh, bottom right corner of Paolo Lopez. Second half starts. Uh, and Samuel Gigo gets uh, red carded, uh, I think with like, wait, 70, yeah, 70 second minutes, uh, red card for Samuel Gigo. Uh, up until then, Marseille kind of looked like they may, were maybe able to come back. Uh, and then they kept pushing even after the, the red card and they kept finding ways to get close to the box, but were very rarely dangerous for Gianluigi Donnarumma. I mean, a couple of shots from distance, maybe uh, a couple of surprising attempts from either um, Nuno Tavares. Uh, or maybe even um, it was Chancel Mbemba, sorry, who, who had a, a, a shot that, that was close. Uh, but Donnarumma on his line, we know he's good. Uh, and so he didn't have uh, much more work to do than this. So that's that's how the game uh, was played out. Um, and, and I won those three um, three places uh, of the field, like I said, that, that I want to discuss. So let's look first on that. Um, you know, if Paris, if you were watching the game right now and Paris was playing on the left and Marseille on the right. Let's look at the left side of the pitch. Uh, so uh, so the the players that were facing each other, um, Gianluigi Donnarumma was the goalkeeper, of course. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain was playing at four defenders for the first time this season. Uh, so it was Juan Bernat as a left back, Danilo Pereira in central defense next to Marquinhos. And on the right, we had Ashraf Hakimi. Uh, Danilo Pereira got injured early on into the game, 25th minute. So Nordi Mukiele took his place. Uh, and then the number six was um, Verratti, just in front of him. Paris was actually playing a 4-4-2 uh, diamond, uh, more than a 4-3-3. So you had uh, Verratti and in front of him, um, Ruiz and Vitinha. And then Neymar was playing number 10 and Neymar and, Mbappé were, and, and Messi and Mbappé were up front. Uh, so so the, the back four, like, like we said, with Verratti in six. And then um, Marseille up front was Alexis Sanchez playing as a number nine. And just behind him, really Amin Arit, because uh, next to Amin Arit, it would have been Matteo Genduzzi. Um, so Marseille was playing their usual sort of 3-5-2 with Mbemba, Bailly, and Balerji in uh, central defense, close on the right, Tavares on the left, um, Rongier and... Um, Veretout in the middle of the park with um, Gendouzi right in front of him and then uh, Arit kind of like the number 10 and, and Alexis Sanchez kind of like the striker. Uh, so, so this this third of the pitch, the defense of Paris Saint-Germain and the offense of Marseille is basically the weakness of those two teams uh, and, and that's why it was interesting to to see how it unfolded. Um, you know, if we talk about first the, the offensive issues for Marseille, uh, Marseille had... Uh, I want to say 20 opportunities close to the to the box. Um, whether it was Jonathan Kloss on the right, or Nuno Tavares on the left, uh, or Amin Arit dribbling through the middle of the park, or, or nice little small passes combination between uh, Rongier, Gendouzi, Verretou, uh, Amin Arit, Sanchez. They were 
in there a lot. It was just always the end product was missing. They were never in, in a really good position to shoot. Um, I mean, Alexis Sanchez maybe twice was in that position, but it was it was too rare. Uh, and they were never doing the right choices as far as the last pass. A few times they get even close to the six-yard box and they don't really find um, their, their partner in the middle of the of the box or they don't look to the to the player who's hanging out in the edge of the box either. So you could definitely see, uh, again, year in, year out, that's what we talk about with Marseille, uh, the, the, the player that's missing is that goal scorer, that it's that player that can feel where the ball might end. But also you can definitely see um, the issues Technically, uh, you know, Nuno Tavares, I've said that several times now, half of the time he, did, he forgets the ball or he doesn't bring the ball where he wants to bring it. Um, you know, Jonathan Close, I think, had a great game and, and he was often um, seeing Bernat off. But, um, you know, he just wasn't as influential as as we've seen him, uh, I guess, for the first few games and also the, the past couple of years in Lens. Uh, I think Matteo Genduzzi and Aminari did a lot of work, but Aminari was you know busy and, and trying to bring some intensity but when he came to the last 30 meters he was never finding a way to actually sort of like dynamite the game he was actually slowing it down a little bit uh, and Alexis Sanchez we've seen really shut down by uh, Marquinhos and Danilo first and then Marquinhos and, and Mukele and it was really hard for him to get out of of, of this defensive uh, part. Paris Saint-Germain was playing defensively and we're going to go back to that later they were playing really sort of like dense defense, the midfielder were, were low, Neymar was low, uh, so it was really hard for Marseille to get into the middle of the park. Marseille was forced to sort of like use the width, but when Marseille uses the width of the park, uh, well, they, they don't really have anybody to, to cross the ball to, so they don't really want to cross the ball that much, uh, and, and if they cross the ball, there's nobody to get it. There's still 10 crosses for Marseille, only three for Paris, uh, but none of those crosses really bring a, a dangerous opportunity um, for Marseille, a couple of them, they just go low and no one touches it. There's a couple of corners that could have been dangerous, one that bounces in a six-yard box, but nobody touches it either. And you could really see that although Aminarit has the technique to really surprise anybody he's facing, uh, although you know the, the, the work rate of Alexis Sanchez is second to none and he's always fighting for it and he's always trying to, to get a ball in behind the defense, etc., um, it's just really hard for them to find more, yeah, more opportunities to be dangerous. Ben Bajeng came in, Senjis Under came in, uh, and not much more was was offered. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I don't think that Tudor went there to not to win. Um, I think he went there with a plan. He wanted to win the game. Uh, I just think that they sort of like ran short of, of of solutions. I'm a bit surprised that, you know, players like Gerson, Dimitri Payet, or even Luis Suarez didn't come in. Neither of the three came in. Uh, but, you know, we're not at, we know that the, at training, there may be things happening at training run, but it looked like Either of the three could actually have done something uh, in a game like this. But uh, yeah, Tudor had, had rather played uh, Ben Bajeng and, and Senju Zuder. So, so that's what happened. So I think Marseille really, um, yeah, really, really struggled to actually be dangerous, to actually bring the opportunities up front. But that's also, um, you know, the, the fact that Paris was defending so, so densely. And, and yet, and now we're going to talk about Paris defense a little bit, despite that sort of like dense defense that basically prevented... Um, the Marseille players of, of having shots on in the open in the middle of the box. Despite that, uh, wow, this this Paris defense is scary. Um, Juan Bernat too many times was was um, you just just taken over by uh, by Jonathan Close on the other side. Ashraf Hakimi too many times, um, you know, by whether it was uh, Guendouzi or, or you know Tavares uh, and, and players of this you know of this caliber. We don't expect them to to struggle like this. Marquinhos. He, 
he had a very good game, but I just, I feel like I've seen him better, but he still has a solid game and he really nullified Alex Sanchez. But yeah, I think I've seen it better. And then Pereira and, and then after Mukele, I think, I think did the job, did the job, sorry, all together. But there was this, this weakness, this fragility from the two fullbacks that really put Paris under pressure. Uh, you know, there's, there's two uh, sort of like weak call for penalties. I think one is um, Jonathan Close having an opportunity 1v1 against Donnarumma. And there's a bit of a pull of the jersey by, uh, by Juan Bernat. And another one is uh, a handball, but the hand is very close to the leg, the hand of uh, Norji Mukele, if some of you have seen the image. Uh, so so it, they look like they were a little bit in panic station sometimes. Uh, and also whenever they were trying to play the ball from the the, the build-up point of view, from the defense. Well, every time Marseille started to press high and coordinated, it was really hard for Paris Saint-Germain to get out. And sometimes they just had to put, put the ball forward, which we, we rarely see for a team like Paris. I mean, you know, like 80% of the time, you would see obviously that technically Paris is, is really just superior to Marseille in, in every way, um, as far as football skills everywhere on the park. Uh, so here and there, you could see like one, two, three, four, five passes. And just like that, the ball was in the feet of Neymar. And when Neymar has the ball uh, this this uh, this season, there's nothing that anybody can do. Um, so, so except following him. Uh, so they, they did that well most of the time, Paris. But here and there, they just would miss a cue, would just not turn fast enough. And as soon as they were not doing their build-up 100%, then Marseille was here to try and, and get the ball and, and succeeded quite often at intercepting um, the the ball in the um, in the Paris Saint Germain half uh, and to be honest it was the trend of, of both teams on uh, on Sunday night Monday morning that uh, that ability to be aggressive um, higher on the park uh, but we we could really see that it, it was a danger for Paris Saint Germain because they were trying to play off the back uh, but here and there they just showed that they didn't have uh, well sometimes they didn't have the ability to do it the right way and it's not something again that we expect from from Paris and, and like I said again defensively it just wasn't completely reassuring a couple of corner kicks just went through the whole defense and no one's heads it away um, and and Marseille was happily happily running at them and they were just showing patience and just waiting in their box waiting in their box if Marseille had a bit more talent up front it's definitely a goal uh, for against Paris because there was too many times where Marseille were close to it and you could see that the um, the shortcomings in in terms of you know technicality and and being lethal in front of goal etc for Marseille uh, were the reason why um, they wouldn't score. Uh, but but it was um, it was not reassuring. I'll say that for for Paris uh, defensively. And I think you know of of course Kimpembe is injured and Sergio Ramos was suspended um, and they decided not to play um, Nuno Nuno Mendes. Also Nuno Mendes was injured as well. Excuse me. Uh, so, so I understand that the team wasn't full, but uh, yeah, that, I think there was a little bit of, a, of something to be wary about for Paris Saint-Germain. Mind you, clean sheet at the end, they didn't concede. Uh, I would say, though, that them not conceding was more showing that Marseille up front really needs to, to, I don't know, find some talent or, or maybe put uh, players like Bemba Djeng or Luis Suarez or Timothy Payet a bit more in, in sort of like... Um, in the rhythm of playing games more often so that they can find their confidence so that they can score goals uh, because um, it looked like they could have played for a while those three up front or those two and a half I should say up front and, and just never score a goal so that was I think that was an interesting um, side of the game because you were you were seeing you really where those two teams are struggling early in this season uh, and, and what the coaches are probably working the, the most 
on to try and have a, a successful uh, end of season. So if we look at the midfield now, so on one side it was, of course, uh, Verratti, Fabian Ruiz, who had a very good game, uh, and Vitinha with, with Neymar kind of like just in front of them. And on the other side, it was uh, Verratou, Rongier, and, and Ganduzi. And I think this was such a fascinating battle. Um, you know, I feel like it was every 10 minutes, the, the lead was changing kind of thing. So like the first the first five minutes, it was all Paris and it was all fast balls and we were not going through the middle and we were trying to use a bit of the width of the pitch or trying to find Neymar and Mbappé and, and Messi early and it was hard for Marseille to contain them. And then as soon as the game sort of settled, the work rate of Men- of Gendouzi, the work rate of Veretout and Rongy were here just grabbing you know, grabbing the ball and the ankles, wherever, whoever it was, Messi, Neymar, they, they struggled a little bit against them too. Neymar, of course, was the one that struggled the, the least. Uh, but, you know, even when at the, probably for the whole first half, really, Fabian Ruiz, when he's trying to get the ball out, he was playing sort of a number eight role. Uh, it wasn't easy for him. And Verratti had to drop really low to try and find um, space, to try and get that ball out. And even for Vicinia, it wasn't always easy. So there was a lot of effort needed from this Paris Saint-Germain team to try and get through uh, this midfield because we know how Guendouzi, how intense he can be um, in the middle of the park. And, and Verreto and Rongier were really doing their, their work of, um, I don't mean that in a little way at all, uh, but like the, the dog work where all they do is sort of like, uh, you know, sniff behind the player and just bark at them and just always be there and always uh, anticipating. There was a lot of very successful anticipations for both teams. Um, to to sort of like cut attacks on the way, and I think that's what made it um, such a fun game as well, because there was it was quite a bit of end to end stuff, and there was a lot of uh, sort of like attack being created, and then bam, an interception, it goes on to the other side, and then it becomes dangerous on the other side. Uh, so we've seen quite a bit of that. So that was that was interesting uh, in that way. I, I think in the middle of the park, what we've seen uh, is also, uh, I guess maybe a bit surprisingly, a difference compared to what we had at the beginning of the season. I feel like at the beginning of the season, Paris Saint Germain were playing um, in their build-up more in, in, in patience and more in like, you know, we are the dominating team, we're going to keep the ball, we're going to build slowly, and then we're going to bring the ball up slowly, we're going to use the width because we played 3-5-2 for the whole beginning of the season, and then from the width we're going to go back in and we're just going to build slowly and, and sort of like impose ourselves onto our adversary. Well, they didn't do that against Marseille. They played a bit more defensively, and then whenever the ball was coming out, it was tac, 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 one, two, three, four passes, and straight away, Neymar, Mbappé, Messi, and then we we all attack and transition, and we all go go all out. And that's when most of the opportunities happened. On the other side, Tudor, who we expected from the beginning of the season, that he would be this kind of squad, a bit more defensive, a bit more uh, sort of like in the expectative, and seeing that the other team has the ball, and then, you know, go out in counter-attack, and go out in transition, and make the most out of the, the width of the of the um, the team and uh, the the speed on the width I should say uh, well this time we didn't see much of that they were they probably had the ball too much sometimes Marseille and that's why they were struggling because you know Paris was happy to sort of like drop a little bit low to put the players in between Marseille players try and anticipate passes try and love sort of like um, derail the the build up plan um, and, and Marseille was forced to play a little bit slower and they were not very comfortable in doing this, whether, you know, that Paris would be comfortable doing that because of how technique, um, how technical those, all those players are, how skilled they are. And, and Marseille, just a, there's just here and there, you can see the skills are missing a little bit to try and really control a game against a team such as Paris Saint-Germain. So in the middle of the park, you had a bit of that 
I guess, in, in reverse role, instead of having Marseille um, sitting low, trying to counter-attack, you had Paris doing this. I don't know if Marseille was expecting this game plan from Paris Saint-Germain. I won't say that it threw them off at all, because I think um, they just played with it, and I guess they've played this way against you know teams that are a bit weaker than Paris Saint-Germain, but they still had to do it. Uh, but I think there was definitely this element of fear that when you play against Paris Saint-Germain and you're in the middle of the park, you know that if you lose the ball, it's very dangerous and that's how the, the goal happens. You know, I, I mean, Harry has the ball, he comes out of his box and instead of passing the ball straight away, he tries and, do one, try and does one dribble, loses the ball and then the goal comes from that. So Paris Saint-Germain played that game plan really well. Uh, but I think, I think we were surprised. Talking about the individuals more, more specifically for Paris Saint-Germain because I think that's probably where we got the main information during that game. Um, if Paris Saint-Germain plays 4-4-2 instead of playing 3-5-2 like they've done since the beginning of the season, that third midfielder looks like it's Fabian Ruiz, but I think um, I think you know Carlos Soler can really well enter into that role or, or so can Renato Sanchez. That third midfielder is crucial. You have Marco Verratti, who's apparently going to be the player who's going to be right in front of the defense and who's going to be the I guess the first um, the first player for the build-up but also the last one defensively. You have uh, Vicinia who can play that eight role but it's maybe a bit more on the defensive and then the other player looks like he's going to be the creative one and that's Fabian Ruiz. Uh, at least the one that can link up between the six and the ten because Neymar is the real ten of that team right now and it was very interesting to see this because we haven't seen um, Galce doing that since the beginning of the season. We've seen the double pivot. We've seen either Verratti and Vitinha, or Verratti and Renato Sanchez, or Ruiz and, and Sanchez, or Ruiz Vitinha. And now seeing three together, you understand why it can work. You understand that it can work, though, only in that sort of like transition style of play because because it's technically clean. Uh, it's precise. It's the ball comes out. Verratti, Ruiz, Neymar, and then boom, it explodes. Or the other way around, Verratti, Vitinha, Neymar, and then boom, it explodes. And then both... Ruiz and um, Vitinha, they're very happy to project themselves all the way to the uh, opponent's box. And they both have opportunities to score, actually, against Marseille. Uh, whether, whether Verratti really looked like the player who was just going to be patient, wait behind, stay low, let the other team come out. He played the whole 90 minutes, which, you know, as we know, Verratti is famously uh, known for, for not being able to play more than an hour. He played the whole 90 minutes in that number six role. And I think it worked for him. I think it's you know, we're always wondering what's the real role, what's the best role for Marco Verratti, right? It's a player with such technical abilities, such skills. You want to, him to be your number 10 because any of these passes is going to be a caviar for your strikers. But I think in Paris Saint-Germain, he's slowly but surely enjoying this, this number 6 role, being just in front of the defense. Against big teams, it could be a problem, you know, if you got a, a De Bruyne running at you or, a, or I don't know, a Mo Salah if he, if he comes into the middle of, of Liverpool instead of staying in his wing kind of thing. I think it, maybe it's not enough, but in, in Ligue 1, it's, it's more than enough. And he's probably just making sure that he's building up himself up to be ready for, the, for those bigger games. But this 4-4-2 playing in a diamond was, I think, the real information for Paris Saint-Germain, was the real indication of how Paris Saint-Germain probably can play in the future. We definitely had the impression that Christophe Galtier, and I, th- and I think that's going to be my main take from this game, Paris Saint-Germain, Marseille, I think the main take is Christophe Galtier is playing with Paris Saint-Germain the same way he was playing in Nice, in Lille, it's Saint-Etienne. What we see is a team that just shines most when they're playing this counter-attack football. 
this you know fast transition football one two three four passes and then let the artist do their job up front the difference of course is the talent that he has at his disposal it's it's there's no player in this Paris Saint-Germain side who's not a superstar offensively so he can build on this defense and then he knows that the counter-attack and the transition football is going to be exceptional for Paris Saint-Germain I don't know that I was expecting that with Galche going to Paris Saint-Germain. I think that maybe my, my romantic views uh, thought that he was going to get to Paris Saint-Germain and try to make them play a bit more position football, attacking football. And I think we saw a little bit of this at the beginning of the season in that 3-5-2. But I've seen this weekend against Marseille, against a team that is happy to come and challenge Paris Saint-Germain, that Paris will play that way. And I'm not going to be surprised when I'm going to see them playing that way against the Real Madrid and the Bayern Munich and, and the Manchester Cities and the Liverpool of this world because it works and it's kind of it's kind of perfect for for Paris Saint-Germain the way they are right now, the way the way the, the team is built, and that works well for this midfield. We don't have this, you know, Busquets style, Chago Mota style of midfielder who's who's an enforcer, who's here to make sure that the, the whole thing goes well. We have those technical players who have a little bit of grit and who, and who don't mind defending at all. Don't, don't get me wrong, Verratti likes to defend and intercept balls and he's got such a, a high football IQ that he can anticipate passes the right way. Uh, but we don't have this enforcer. So playing this sort of like dense in the middle, defensive football, defensive is probably a harsh word, but more defensive-minded, making sure that nobody can come through us and then boom, exploding in counter-attack is, I think, a, a wise choice, albeit maybe a bit disappointing when you have the expectations of Paris Saint-Germain, and also something that they can't play every weekend, right? Because when they play in Champions League uh, in the second part of the season, or when they play against, you know, Marseille or Lens or Monaco, maybe they can afford to play that way because the other team will play football. But when they're going to play, you know, Troyes, Auxerre, Ajaccio, Reims, those teams aren't going to be the one playing football. They're going to be waiting for Paris to come out. Uh, so they're going to have to find two identities. But I think this weekend, we saw that Paris Saint-Germain will try and win the Champions League by playing counter-attack football, transition football, using the pace of the Mbappes, using the technical ability and skill sets of Messi and Neymar in transition. And they're going to try and hurt teams in transition. That brings us to the third part of this, uh, this match tactical analysis. The part where Mbappé, Neymar, Messi were shining. The part also where Marseille was, was to be honest, quite excellent uh, until that, that 45-minute goal, but that 45-minute goal. But besides that, there was not much to say. Uh, like I said, first five minutes, Paris Saint-Germain started, boom, all game, all guns blazing, opportunities plenty. Mbappé, short, the short side, the long side, tried the opposite side, the near side. He really tried to score. And, and Paulo Lopez was in form, uh, 1v1 with Messi, 1v1 with Mbappé. Uh, he was stopping them all. The free kick from Messi, uh, luckily for Marseille, hit the crossbar. Ev like every other ball that was aimed for Messi or Mbappé or Neymar, you had Eric Bailly coming in. You had Leonardo Balerdi, who wasn't too bad on Sunday, coming in. You had um, Chancel Mbemba, who, was, who had a very, very good game, I think, um, coming out. And you had a, a defensive team. We're going to talk about the defense first because obviously we know the forwards of, of Paris and there's going to be able to say. But we'll talk about the Marseille defense first. You, you had a defense that was in place with the understanding that it was okay to play 
those superstar 1v1. And I think that's something that maybe Paris is not used to and something that in Marseille they're probably not used to when they play against Paris. But Mbemba was just taking Mbappé one-on-one. Um, Bailly was taking Neymar or Messi one-on-one. Balergi was doing the same. There was not all those, to use the basketball t- term, double teaming going on or, or, or any of that. It was really just, um, you know, trusting into the ability of those players to do it. Unfortunately for Marseille, Eric Bailly um, gets injured and comes out just before halftime. And I think that's a blow for Marseille because Eric Bailly, his, his experience, his, his skills, he's is a great defender, um, probably was missed in the second half. And of course, his, his uh, temper, because he was able to keep his calm, which Samuel Gigo wasn't able to, uh, was dearly missed because Bailly, Mbemba and, and Balergi were in place, were, were well in their game uh, and, and were doing what it took to avoid um, the, the Paris Saint-Germain team from from scoring, um, you know, speaking of which, when Bailly comes out, you also realized um, there and then, I guess, the immaturity of this Marseille side, in a way, um, Bailly gets injured, he comes out, uh, and Marseille doesn't put the ball out to let the, um, the substitute happen, to let Samuel Gigo come in. So Marseille starts playing with 10, 10 men for probably about two, three minutes, uh, but it looked like an eternity because... It looked like Paris was expecting Marseille to put the ball out for Gigo to come in. But Marseille looks like they were trying to take advantage of the fact that PSG was expecting something to try and surprise them. I mean, it looked weird. And, and then, luckily for Marseille, it didn't end up into um, something that would have been a joke because Paris has a couple of counter-attacks in them. And if they scored them, then Marseille would have would have been, you know, um, deemed stupid for not just putting the ball out to let their player come in. They would have gotten the ball back. Uh, luckily for them, I think yeah, it's a shot from Mbappé that goes in the, in the clouds that allows uh, from Gigo to come in. But then a minute later, um, the goal comes. And, and you know, who, who's to say that if Marseille just goes slow, puts the ball out, let Gigo come in, Gigo has time to come in naturally, then maybe he's a bit warmer and he's there to try and stop the, the goal from happening because it's a bit everybody's fault. Uh, defensively, that goal, you know, a moment of... Of lack of focus, um, whether it's I think it's Veretout maybe who doesn't follow Neymar and Balerdi is a bit far as well, and and Gigo is not there. So there was a, a, a floating moment where uh, where that's all you need when you're Paris Saint-Germain to, to be able to score. But besides that, um, I think Paolo Lopez, you know, you, I don't think you can ask him anymore. It was Manuel Neuer out there uh, making all the saves, uh, left foot, right foot, left hand, right hand, uh, just you know off balance behind his back. It was making all of them, and defensively, we are really seeing that Chancel Mbemba, he's a player that has, um, obviously, Champions League experience, and that when those big games are coming in, he's, he's ready to respond. Um, so so was Bailly, and, and, and so was Balergi, unfortunately for Marseille. Samuel Gigo comes in, um, gets a red card. It's a really silly red card. It's um, excess of, of aggressivity. I mean, we see the replay. I'm sure Marseille fan will say that Neymar wasn't um, touched. I'm, I know that I've read somewhere from other pundits as well um, that you know um, maybe maybe it's a, an old-fashioned way of seeing things, but it was just a, a rough tackle and not necessarily a, a red card. I think it was Andy Scott who, who said that. Uh, you know, I think it's a red card because if Neymar doesn't jump and and Gigo goes into Neymar's leg, he breaks his leg. And and to me, that's enough. If the if the intent could be that dangerous, then it should be a red card. So that's how, that's how I see it at least. Uh, but yeah, Gigo gets a red card. There's 20 minutes left to play, uh, and then it's complicated for Marseille to really go forward uh, when that's, that's when that's what happened a minute after 
uh, two changes were made as well. I think it was Kaburi. Kaburi and Under came in for Tavares and Arit, and a minute later, Jigo gets a red card. It's in the middle of the of the circle. It's it's not even close to a dangerous area. I don't know what he maybe he tried to sort of like show his authority for Neymar, and I just went the the wrong way around. I'm sure he'll be he'll be sad about it, but it's definitely a bit of a professional mistake, I think, for Samuel Gigo, and and he lost his nerve, and you could see that he, he it's uh, yeah, it was a shame because Marseille was very strong defensively up until then, um, and and he kind of like spoiled a little bit the. The good game that we were seeing, mind you, with 10 players, Marseille was trying to, to get there still. The three stars of Paris Saint-Germain, of course, Neymar, Messi, Mbappé. I, I mean, like I said, you know, uh, my, my take that counter-attack, you know, forward, um, forward kind of football, transition football, but really based on making sure that defensively we're good and that we can let the team come out of their own half and try and, and surprise them is just perfect for them. Um, there, there's a few reasons why it's perfect. The, the first one may be that they won't defend. Um, Neymar is surprisingly dropping low, defending. We've seen him tackling. He's obviously still has his little issues of finding player when there's no need and trying to wind them up. And, and here and there, it, it, it did cost him already in his Paris Saint-Germain career. But you could see that if he doesn't remove that from his, uh, from his gameplay, it's going to still hurt him. But then Messi doesn't run, and you can forgive Messi. He's his age. He's got 45 Ballon d'Or, and he's, uh, and he's, uh, has, he's been one of the best players that the, the football has ever seen. Uh, and we know that he doesn't run anyway, so we know that he's better offensively than, than he is defensively because he doesn't really partake in the defensive uh, chores. But, but Mbappé, what is Mbappé doing? Um, 21, 22 years old, 23 years old, sorry. Uh, and and he's, he's just not helping defensively, and I think that's an issue. To a point, again, like I said, because if they play the way they play now, which is with that dense uh, 4-4 in the middle in front of Donnarumma and, and that diamond, all of a sudden you have six players, you know, within 25 meters, 30 meters of Donnarumma in the middle of the park uh, and the two on the wings, uh, it's hard It's hard to go through them. And so then you can quickly explode in counter-attack and you can find Messi, you can find Mbappé, or you can find Mbappé who will find Messi uh, because those two players mainly run forward. Uh, so it could work for them to to have those players not defending at all, uh, and it could work into their system whenever they have the ball. Though I mean, if it's if it's four zero at the twentieth minute, uh, it's okay. Nobody complains about it because they have the opportunity because they outpace uh, the Marseille defense both in speed, uh, run proper speed and um, passing ability, um, and and it's just a very very talented trio. As everybody knows, I don't think we need to sort of remind them but you can see that when they want to hit they can hit pretty badly they sort of you know it sort of died down after the halftime and when they were up 1-0 especially even more when Marseille got a red card and Marseille could probably have taken advantage of it uh, but yeah Neymar was impressive uh, Messi was was just being Messi you know he, I think it's the did I read something it's the 15th time that he hits the post since he joined Paris Saint-Germain if I'm not mistaken that's crazy um, in, in a year and, and so imagine the amount of goals he would have uh, without that, but yeah, he hit the crossbar on that free kick, um, and and but he did what he what we know that he can do. I mean, I was a bit surprised that here and there Veretout and Rangier were able to take the ball away from his feet, uh, but I guess he, he takes risks, so that would always happen. Mbappe maybe a bit of a disappointing game. I mean, it's it's you know shame that he wasn't able to score early because he's got the chances, and then after slowly but surely we kind of saw his uh, his influence of the game um, decrease. 
um, to the point where at the end he was really just here for counter attacks and wasn't, um, you know, sort of like um, weighing much on the on the Marseille defense. Uh, but but I think, like I said, we saw that Mar- Paris Saint Germain in transition will be very dangerous. Will always be very dangerous. We saw maybe a bit more unexpectedly that it looks like it's going to be Galche's choice of tactic when they're going to play against a team um, that has the, the quality of Marseille and above. Uh, so basically, anyway, they're going to face in the Champions League, right? Past the, past the groups. Uh, and, and we've also seen, uh, well, that Marseille, um, you know, he's not, in, uh, he's not here to sort of like let Paris Saint-Germain win without a fight. Um, he is here to, to bring the fight to Paris Saint-Germain that Hugo Tudor has, has probably found his starting 11. That was the same starting 11 against Paris that it was uh, midweek against the Sporting in Portugal when they won uh, when they won 3-0, 2-0, 2-0. And it looks like that's the team that he likes. Like I said, it's it's lacking a little bit offensively, but I think having Gendouzi as that number eight slash helper in, in defensive midfield is helping strengthening that part of the... Um, of the field for Marseille and the wingers um, are getting, you know, as all the freedom they need to, to go up front. Uh, so are the centre-back, uh, by the way. Both Balerji and Mbemba and, and Gigo were very happy to go up front. Uh, so I think it was it was a game where we learned a lot from both teams, uh, where we realised that, um, you know, Marseille will, will definitely try and challenge Paris. Now there are six points behind Paris on the table. Uh, but also where Paris Saint-Germain showed us that, well, they're here to win and, and sort of like whatever it takes. And if what it takes is defending a little bit more, they'll do it. They have the team for it. They have the talent for it. And, you know, they afforded the luxury of leaving Real Sanchez on the bench, Ikitiki on the bench and not, and not get them in. Um, so that shows as well, of course, the depth uh, that we have for Paris Saint-Germain and that Galchier is fine uh, keeping the same players on the field. Like Mukele came in the 25th minute because of an injury. But then Sarabia comes in at the 80th minute and Carlos Soler at the, uh, sorry, Sarabia at the 79th uh, and Carlos Soler at the 88th. Um, so he not really, you know, he wasn't too keen on using his bench, although uh, Marseille was playing only with uh, with 10 men by that time. Uh, so lots, lots of information, a great classic, uh, you know, I think uh, a classic that sort of like um, kept, kept us awake and, and kept us wa- wanting for more. Uh, and Paris Saint-Germain now is still the leader of uh, Ligue 1, three points away from Lorient, the, the surprise runner-up, uh, and six points away from Marseille. And uh, and it shows that, you know, Paris is obviously here to try and win it. Uh, it, it showed that defensively there's something that um, some teams can do against Paris Saint-Germain. So that was a bit of that, that tactical analysis for um, Le Classic, which was a game that was uh, passionating and, yeah, of course, um, I wish I had watched more games this weekend because there was a few games that was interesting, but uh, it was a busy weekend uh, for me professionally, so I didn't have time to watch much more of the, much more of the other game. Let's let's look at the results. So Lille uh, won in Strasbourg 3-0. Uh, Strasbourg back in their uh, in their struggle after the win last week. Uh, Lorient and Reims 0-0, despite Reims getting a red card, another one uh, for Reims. Um, Lorient wasn't able to take advantage of it and consider the, the draw at home. Lens beat Montpellier 1-0. Toulouse beat Angers 3-2. Uh, an, an interesting game over there. Nantes, despite trailing by one goal, won against Brest 4-1. Rennes and Lyon, uh, Laurent Blanc's first game, 3-2 for Rennes. The goal scorer from Rennes, two former 
les home players, euh, Terrier and Guiri. Euh, Auxerre-Nice, 1-1, 3 Ajaccio, 1-1, et Monaco-Clermont, 1-1 as well, with the red card for uh, Mohamed Kamara for Monaco. Again, Reims and, and Monaco, the red cards are, um, yeah, I guess a little bit, um, a little bit harsh, a bit severe, but that's what we're used to in Ligue 1 right now. Let's look at the table. Paris Saint-Germain is up front, of course, with 29 points uh, in um, 11 games and 29 goals scored as well for Paris Saint-Germain. It's, it's a nice stat. Five, uh, five goals considered, the best defense in the league. Behind them, it's Lorient, 26 points, then Lens, 24, and Marseille, 23, followed by Rennes and Monaco, 21. And this weekend, we have a Lens, Marseille, or Marseille-Lens, which will be uh, very interesting. At the bottom of the table, where we have the coaches that have part ways with their coach uh, Reims, the, the team, sorry, that have part ways with their coach Reims, uh, 15th with 9 points, Auxerre, 16th with 9 points, Strasbourg, 17th with 8 points, Ajaccio, Angers, and Brest, all the way at the bottom, uh, 8 points, 8 points, and 6 points for Brest, who's 20th on the table. The uh, player stats, Jonathan David scored this weekend, and so did Neymar, so they are our two leading goal scorers with 9 goals each, followed by Mbappé and Mofi, 8 goals each, and in the assists game, Messi and Neymar are leading with seven assists each. Next week in Ligue 1, this weekend, um, Ajaccio-Paris Saint-Germain will be the first game, and then Montpellier-Lyon, Marseille-Lens, as I said, Angers-Rennes, Toulouse-Strasbourg, Clermont-Brest, Reims-Auxerre, Troyes-Lorient, Nice-Nantes, and Lille-Monaco to finish the weekend. Thank you so much for following yet another episode of Casser les lignes. Uh, I'm lucky enough that next week I will be uh, participating in the official Ligue 1 podcast with um, Robbie Thompson and uh, Jonathan Johnson. Uh, so stay tuned. I'll make sure that I link that on on Twitter and, and we'll promote it. It's the uh, podcast that is um, produced and, and uh, executed by the uh, commentator of the Ligue 1 football games on uh, on BT Sport being sport. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, but I'll also, of course, do my own podcast where we'll talk about the 10 games in match day 12 soon and sooner and sooner the World Cup break. And of course, the wonderful news today that Karim Benzema got a Ballon d'Or finally 20, was it 24 years after Zinedine Zidane or 23 years after Zinedine Zidane. Uh, we have another uh, Frenchie with the Ballon d'Or and of course, it's well-deserved for Karim Benzema, who, is, who has been astonishing, and he's 34 years old. Uh, he's, not, he's not a youngster anymore, but he's um, really, really uh, performing well, and he's deserving that. He really carried that Real Madrid team up to the Champions League title this season. Thank you very much. Merci for uh, following, listening. Feel free to ask any questions. Hope you enjoyed that episode that was a bit more of a tactic analysis, and I will talk to you all next week. Ciao, ciao.